Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Joe Para Talks With You. There's a new show coming on Adult Swim called Joe Para Talks With You. It's a quiet show about Joe and his friends and the things in his life, such as breakfast foods, rocks, weddings, being woken up by thunder, grilled chicken, pumpkins, fall drives, and more. Now, here's a personal request from Joe. Please watch Joe Para Talks With You Sundays at midnight on Adult Swim. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams is your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. And you can take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline or sharing your next big idea, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Microsoft Teams and Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of The Watch. Andy is back, and we talked a lot about network television, which is something that we don't actually usually talk about. We talked about all the pilots coming out of Upfronts from last week, and basically the state of network TV, and how we're living in a time where there are two separate industries. There are two separate television industries. So it was a fascinating chat about the industry. Second half of the pod was about Killing Eve, as we just saw the penultimate episode last night, and are going into the finale next week season finale. Just wanted to tell you about a couple of things on The Ringer and on The Ringer Podcast Network. We've got some great stuff about Deadpool. You can read a bunch about it on TheRinger.com. Plus, you can listen to The Big Picture from last week about Deadpool and Binge Mode Weekly this week about Deadpool. I also, please, please, please would love for you to listen to On Shuffle, our new music podcast hosted by Micah Peters. And also, we didn't talk about Westworld today, but if you want to hear any Westworld content, it's Westworld The Recapable, hosted by David Shoemaker. Uh, It's an awesome podcast. Some would say, even better than the show. Some might say. All right, without further ado, let's get into the watch. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio, he's got his bourbon, he's got his pills, it's Andy Greenwald! It's a nice way to go. (laughs) Andy, we will be talking about uh, last night's episode of Killing Eve in the second half of The Watch. The first half is going to be a little bit of a... A sort of like macro level view, kind of like up mm-hmm. up in the air view of where we're at with network television. Yes. Which is not something that we often talk about. Not for uh, a while. And not on purpose. And I kind of want to interrogate that a little bit. I think the last network show we really talked about with any depth was Roseanne. We only really talked about that first episode, I think. Yeah. Uh, before that, The Good Place. But yeah. for the most part... Um, we don't really discuss the stuff that's available to us <laughs> free. Yeah. And we don't discuss these shows that, frankly, um, are the most watched shows on television when you get down to it. These shows that still the most people in America sit down and watch in any kind of live setting. Um, this is a this is an aspect of the industry that we don't really talk about a lot. We don't really, frankly, take particularly seriously critically. No. And I thought because of its Basically, pilot upfront trailers. So it's like the, at, at the upfronts, they did trailers for all the well, pilots. And- let's rewind it. Last week was upfronts week yeah. in New York. And for people who aren't familiar with that very industry term, that is the week when the big four broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, um, put on big shows mm-hmm. and they unveil their new programming for the fall. Now, historically, that was for advertisers because that is still what funds the networks. But increasingly, it's become entertainment fodder covered, you know, blog fodder content. Um, and they 
cut up these trailers out of the pilots. Um, and it's always boggled my mind that they basically make these trailers for new shows three and a half, four minutes. They're the entire pilots. When they only yeah. have 20 minutes to yeah. cull from. Yeah. Um, but they're trying to get you as excited as possible as it is to be for something that, you know, you won't see for months. Um now, this isn't like watching a Prometheus trailer. Like most of the story <laughs> yeah. beats of the first episode, if not more, are going to be in these. So they are, it's sort of a strange thing. You're not actually watching this because it's a cool trailer. You're literally going to see, here's the setup, here's the inciting event, and here's pretty much the tone of how it will go afterwards. Yeah, and I will say, um, I was in New York last week, mm-hmm. not f- for upfronts. Oh, well, I guess now is the time to admit that I actually am an executive consultant on Dick Wolf's show, FBI. Dude. Which is about FBI doesn't look half bad. It's about the FBI. I will not have Sisto or or Missy besmirched on this. Podcast. I'm just curious why it's not called Chicago FBI. Like I feel like this is <laughs> can this fit into even though it's set in the South Bronx? Can it be in the Chicago verse? No. Uh, I was there last week for unrelated reasons, and I by the way I do have an airplane movie if we have time today. We I'm can sure discuss. we will. Um, and just the the word on the street from people who were there for upfronts was that it was a remarkably muted affair. Um, so the, the guy in the halal truck was like pretty muted. He's like, I got very little, very little business. Um, no. And I think it's because a number of reasons that we're going to discuss as we get into some of these shows, one of which, um, which I know is on our docket to discuss is the continuing fallout from this almost definitely probably happening Fox Disney merger, which is essentially gutting Fox, the broadcast network, as we have come to know it. Right. Um, the other reason is this you know, critically, broadcast TV has not been the driver for the medium for a long time. But financially, it was still the bulwark of the of the business. Is that changing? I think it's changing. Yeah, it does seem to be changing. Um, you know, the there is the the long tail of the original programming is now the second lifespan of shows. You mm-hmm. know, owning your own content and then being able to spin it off into your various uh, platforms is a huge, huge part of this. And it has increased the value of programming on cable and streaming uh, exponentially. I think that some of these shows, these broadcast shows, you know, obviously there, there, there are outliers, um, big bang theory, um, young uh, Sheldon, young Sheldon. Um, this is us. I mean, these are enormous shows in the way that shows have always been enormous. Well, except that one fourth of the people watch them than watch mash, but you know, given attrition, they are still very large shows, but the odds of finding those shows and the expense that these broadcast networks still pour into this pilot system to make them, it seems like the margins are shifting. Now, I don't have like insider information from the business affairs departments of these networks, but it does seem like financially it's shifting. And I got to say, I know I kind of said something like this for four plus years as a TV critic at Grantland, but this year's crop really feels like they're giving up. Well, I think that we're, we're definitely at a point, I don't know if this is a particularly original thing to say, but watching the, the, the wave of trailers out of upfronts it definitely just made me feel like we're living at a time of two televisions. Yeah. It, it's the television that we talk about. Okay, mostly. John Edwards, tell me. No, but I mean, I think we there's the television that we talk about. There's the stuff on yeah. FX. There's the stuff on AMC and Netflix. Then there's the stuff that actually is just on Fox, CBS, ABC, and NBC. And with a few exceptions, not only do we does that stuff not make its way into the TV conversation, as it were, but it also doesn't seem like it's at all engineered to. And by this, I mean, I don't think that these shows are being made with the idea of maybe we catch fire here and create a cultural phenomenon that truly is, you you can participate in because there's the barrier for entry is having a television. Right. 
I don't think when I look at these trailers, and this is not to sort of denigrate the efforts that go into making any of these shows, but I think they're not interested in making something that looks unique or pushes television forward at all. I, and I, agree. I think that the the show that really got me starting to think about this was 911. Mm-hmm. So 911 is a show from Ryan Murphy. We talked about that one, by the we way. We did talk about it, about an emergency services crew in L.A., um, the the nine one one operator played by Connie Britton, and then a, a firehouse with, led by like Peter Cross and and Angela Bassett, right? And, well, one's a cop, one's a fire. Yeah, that, yeah, or some, something responders. like that. Yeah, and we made lots of fun of how it looked like it was set inside of a crate and barrel, mm-hmm. and that every episode had a sort of viral moment where mm-hmm. like a telephone pole goes through a guy's eye, but they f- save him, or there's a baby in the pipe. Well, no, then the phone starts ringing, <laughs> and it's and the baby in the pipe, like baby. get me out of this pipe. Mm-hmm. Um. But I felt like that was a very representative of the idea of, look, like, we're going to get some really attractive, really charming people. We're going to put them in a really calming and sort of Mm -hmm. life-affirming setting of, like, a, you know, this firehouse is your actual, like, Property Brothers living room that you want. And then we're going to have it ultimately be every week a good cry and a good smile, right? Like, you're going to have, like, this sort of, like, ah, that was good. But it's it's got nothing about it that's feels like a real place yeah. or real people or really lived in stories or even particularly trying to think about these people in a thoughtful dramatic way other than how they exist as tv tropes together and you look across the board at the the trailers that we're seeing and i think that most of these shows are following suit um the big show that i wanted to talk about because it's something that i think of all of these is one that would actually resonate with us is the passage so The Passage is a book, uh, is based on a book by Justin Cronin, which Andy and I have been talking about on and off since the Grantland days. Yeah, I mean, it was essentially the first book club podcast we did mm-hmm. um, without calling it as such. We were big fans. We encouraged people to read it, and we talked about it. Yeah, and it is this massive, epic, post-apocalyptic, post-viral outbreak vampire story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is beautifully written. It has incredible characters, and it has actually breathtaking sequences that— where everybody is having the same dream at once. I mean, like, really mind-blowing stuff in there. And it had been kicked around for a while. Uh, I know really Scott, who is still executive producing this version of it, had been attached to direct it. I'm trying to remember who was, I think as the guy directed Out of the Furnace, Scott Cooper, uh, was maybe attached to direct the movie. And now you get the Fox version of it. And it looks like they shot it on the set of Bones. Um, and it looks like they have made basically a season of television from the prologue of the passage and have turned it into more or less FBI meets vampires. Mm -hmm. And that's not to like say that it can't be good, but I think that the choices that they make are to show some people the most familiar version of, of whatever material they're working on every single time. And that just means that their hit rate is going to be that much lower. I think you're. I think you're right. I think that um, where we are with culture is that if any piece of existing IP, um, the real challenge, everything's going to get optioned at some point. Um, but the, the the real challenge is finding out which box to try to push it into. Right. And there are m- multiple versions of almost every idea. I understand, and I think we were sympathetic at the time to the challenge of making the passage into a film because mm-hmm. it was so ambitious. And there are two subsequent books as well. It seemed really teed up to be in um, the post Walking Dead era a 
prestige style television show, maybe even, you know, HBO's answer to The Walking Dead. Yeah. I mean, Um, I think it had potential to be a kind of Game of Thrones kind of thing. uh, This is where it ended up. Um, And I think you and I are united in thinking this is not what we wish had been done with the material. Mm -hmm. But it is indicative of what broadcast is embracing. And I think the larger, and we didn't even mention that it's Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. It's your your boy, Mark Paul Gosselaar, yeah. the FBI agent. I Who's mean, actually pretty good on pitch. Like, I'm not even denigrating no, the he's casting. he's a fine actor. Yeah, right. But he is a fine, broad, he's yeah. the broadcast actor version yeah. of this. Um, and it, there's, I guess like there's two ways of looking at this. And one way is bemoaning the lack of ambition on broadcast television. Um, but the other part of it is to say, well, maybe they're just recognizing what they have and what they're good at. You know, the shows that tend to be successful, um, whether they are Empire or Young Sheldon, as you said, or Big Bang Theory or, or This Is Us, hit certain beats. Or mm-hmm. 911, you know, a laugh and a cry and you're out of there. A reliable procedural framework. Um, big, broad, like a, like, a, like a pop song in terms of it's the way that it plays with your emotions. And I don't even mean that in a pejorative way. Sure. That works. What I what I guess bums me out a little bit about all of this um, is the way that Thirty Rock predicted this with Jack Donaghy's um, "The only way to save NBC is to make it 1997 again by science or magic." Mm-hmm. That really is where we are, and so I think the thing that bugs me about this new trail, uh, new bunch of trailers and and a new bunch of shows, it's not that it's not ambitious because look, the Kyle Killen era of broadcast TV has long passed. And Kyle Killen was a guy who was on the podcast years ago, years ago, maybe even the first guest I ever interviewed, um, made a show called Lone Star that was ambitious and failed, made a show called Awake, ambitious, failed, uh, Mind Games, ambitious, failed. And then he went to cable. And What's he doing on cable now? Um, he had a pilot, I think at AMC. I don't know what his latest project is. But, you know, th- they were flirting with making these kinds of shows. Yeah. They wanted to try to do it, but they couldn't do it. And if you look at something I just mentioned, like Empire, everything on broadcast especially an hour long, turns to dust eventually. Like you just can't generate plot at a pop song level of intensity and drama and mine a rewarding three, four, five years out of it. It's just, it, it, it never works. You mean in terms of the 22 episodes? Yeah, season, it's just or too just, demanding. Yeah. And also, you know, the thing that was great about Empire, and I wrote about this on Grandland, was I was like, this is what broadcast TV should do. It should be the top 40 radio of everything. Let's just throw everything at it. And it's big and it's campy and it's fun and everything is, mm-hmm. is drawn, you know, larger than life. But if everything is larger than life, then ultimately it's a little bit exhausting. I think that the, one of the more significant trends was that the only people who pulled it off, um, well, let's let's hold them both up. There's the Kings on CBS, right? Yeah. With, with The Good Wife. And now The Good Fight. And The Good Fight, which yeah. I wanted to mention. And um, Shonda Rhimes, who has found a way to make quality procedural slash soap operatic shows work. Shonda Rhimes is going to Netflix and the Kings are on CBS All Access. Dropping F-bombs. That's basically CBS being like, this doesn't work for our model anymore. We need more FBI, which is about the FBI. You pulled off The Good Wife, but if you're going to keep it going, we'll just shunt you off to essentially our version of cable. Yeah, So CBS has like a sneakily interesting network, just it's behind a paywall on a website. Right, and so that's how that works for them. And once again, they've sort of figured out a way to— that. They, they tend to make their decisions more calmly, soberly, and slowly, and then it sort of works out for them yeah. in a way that is actually pretty remarkable. When I'm looking at this new b- crop of shows, um, and we can post this link. You sent me, like Variety had a roundup of just, yeah, just ABC's shows. Sure. The thing about it is you can look at this, and you can look at what Fox did by bringing back Tim Allen's Last Man Standing, and you can be like, well, they're just reading the tea leaves, and Roseanne did big numbers, and so this is what America wants. 
Um, and it's not that what America wants is an appealing family multi-camera comedy. They're like, what America wants is for it to be 1997 culturally and politically sure. again. And so what bummed me out about these shows, and I, I, have, the, I have them open, but you know, there's one called um, The Kids Are All Right, about a working-class Irish-American family with eight boys. It's essentially the, the Wonder Years. In the, in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and A Million Little Things, you know, which is like a, a This Is Us kind of mm-hmm. bromance show. It's that you just feel like the executives in charge of these shows are thrilled that they don't have to try anymore to a certain degree. And when I right. say they don't have to try anymore, the kids are all right one. It's just like, it's just, it's just Irish people with their, their kids in the 70s. We don't have to worry about today's problems. It's just this weird regressive tendency, you know, after, for a network that did great, did great things with diversity and has really strong comedies, you know, still fresh off the boat and blackish. For a million little things, I mean, someone else pointed this out on Twitter. This is not my observation, but they pointed out that like the networks just seem more comfortable going back to this world where the bunch of hockey-loving white friends in Boston also have their one black friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like diversity the way it was in the '90s. And creatively, these shows are never going to be equal to what we enjoy covering on the other services. But they just seem so eager to go backwards. Okay, so. I want to pull you up on two points there. Not yeah. that I have like it's dis- I'm disagreeing with you, but I almost want to challenge like are we being lazy in the way we're thinking? We're talking about networks giving America what they want, right? And thinking they are, yeah. Thinking they are. And we're also talking about the networks sort of punting on creativity. But I posit that like they don't have to and that they have shown time and time and again yeah. over the last 60, 70 years that they can come up with something that lots and lots and lots of people like that also can teach people what they want. You know, Lost, Homicide Life on the Street, ER, Miami Vice. Like these shows, Seinfeld, like these shows were not, uh, these these shows were groundbreaking. They were progressive. These shows taught people how to understand storytelling. 24, like these shows taught people new ways in which they could understand the medium. Mm -hmm. And they introduced us on a massive level to new stars, mm-hmm. Clooney, you know what I mean? Don Johnson. We, yep. We've figured out who these people are through these shows. So I think it's almost a mistake sometimes for them to just be like, eh, we're gonna, I agree. We're going to have this baseline of people who don't know how to change the channel on their television, and that's who we're making yes. t- TV for. I know that there are challenges. I know that nobody wants to sit through an hour-long drama and have to fast-forward commercials and that like they have advertisers and all that stuff. And I know that Lots of things are subject to like live events, which is what we're also going to talk about, which is something Fox is obviously just going towards mm-hmm. full, full hog where they're, they've got essentially like six shows and are like, we're going to be the home of wrestling and, and events, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I, I don't want that to be the case. I want there to be someone somewhere who's saying like, I'll take the money that it would cost to make three of these mediocre shows and take one big swing, whether it's on a Kyle Killen, whether it's on a whoever. And... And try and teach America a different way of watching television and push them again. Because that's the thing that I think it bums me out is that I, I don't watch This Is Us, but I at least respect it because it is a very creative combination of Jason Kadem's core yeah. and time travel or whatever. Yeah. And you're just throwing that out there and you're actually doing something a little bit different than people are used to. And it's obviously resonated. Yeah. I wish that there was still risks out there. And you know what? We... 
this is where we should say the caveat. Maybe there is something in here that we aren't yeah, we're seeing overlooking. that we're not noticing. But time and time again, what happens with these things is that I do think that they get networked to death, probably. Yeah, they get, they noted. get noted to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen as much on these other shows. It's just that I would I wonder what would happen. Not I wonder what would happen if Atlanta was on CBS. I mean, the the thing we have to remember is I, I think you're completely right. And I and I really wish that there were exciting shows that could resonate on that level. We haven't mentioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is moving from Fox to NBC. And one thing, you know, I, I kind of am of the opinion that that the way that all went down was a little bit like, I don't know, it feel like when, thing, when things are made for Twitter headlines, it makes me a little sure. suspicious. Um, I feel like maybe the save was in earlier, but I, I have no inside knowledge of that. But what I would say is um, it's nice when people really love something. Yeah. And people on that scale love something. We often talk about um, missing uh, consensus TV days. And yes, the audience for Brooklyn Nine-Nine is linearly small, but collectively and after it's streamed or whatever, it's it's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And people really loved it. And that's what network TV, broadcast TV used to be like. And I appreciate that there's still a place for it. Um, you know, I, I don't get why. I mean, again, um, well, there's two. There, I, I'm going to follow up to your Atlanta point, but- you know, USA, which a million conflict of interest because that's where I'm making my pilot, but USA had this Blue Skies brand sure. for a long time, pre-Mr. Robot. And the way it got that brand was it basically like snatched NBC's lunch money. And they're corporate siblings, so it's not like it was an aggressive play. But shows like Suits and um, Royal Pains and um, Burn Notice, like those were Sunday night NBC Covert shows. Covert Affairs, very big hit in the the Ryan household. Right, yeah. So now USA has moved on. Why can't NBC take some of that back? You know, like I, is I it wish not, that, what's the stakes? I don't well, know. I, I wish that Matt Nix, who made um, Burn Notice, was making something like Burn Notice or making something like, um, what's the Scott Foley show with Lauren Cohen that's going to be on ABC? Like Whiskey Cavalier or something? It's basically Mr. and Mr. Swift. It's whiskey, I, I wish Mr. Matt Nix was making that for NBC. Right. But, um, to your point about why isn't Atlanta on CBS, I think we have to remember that it's a two-way street now. There are many, many, many more buyers right. than there used to be. And so it used to be the, the 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 carrot for all creators would be to get a show on NBC's primetime lineup because that would get you in front of the most eyeballs and it would make you the most money and give you the access to the biggest talent or whatever. That is a thousand percent no longer the case, except maybe, except, well, the last one. Money still might be the biggest. Right. Um, eyeballs still might be the biggest. But people are chasing prestige in a different way and they're chasing freedom and because there are options now. So we can't put all of the blame on executives here because I'm sure there are, and I've, I've met people who are very smart who work in broadcast yeah. TV. It's that the, they don't have access to the A-list creators anymore. And they certainly don't have access to the A-list talent who many of whom, all everyone's doing TV now. I mean, I don't, I'm not breaking news by saying that. But most agencies say that they will that the biggest talent won't do ad supported television of any kind. That's still because, the barrier. because of the length of the season or because of the restrictions of creation the create creative restrictions. They won't do it for the length of the season and the length of the contracts. That's why you're not going to see um, I, 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 like you're not going to see Emma Stone doing an ABC show. Sure, you but you will see her doing a Netflix show. But there is still a stigma for um, I think FX has broken it a little bit, but. Um, ad-supported cable that's not streaming. So mm-hmm. HBO, Showtime, uh, Netflix, Amazon, yes. AMC, USA, FX, maybe. Um, but there's still a barrier there. So it, so it's a two-way street. It's just, as you said, this this goes back to your biggest point, which I think is the right one. They're just two industries. Yeah. And it just feels a little bit more frayed than I realized because 
I did think even a few years ago when we would talk about this, we would have our list of shows that we covered critically and that we love talking about in the podcast. But we watched New Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched um, the NBC comedies. The NBC comedies. There, Parks. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 or maybe you know occasionally a Shonda Land show. It felt appropriate because people used. I say this often. Mike Schur said this to me years ago. People use TV for different things, and there's a reason to have some comfort and then to be challenged. And the beauty is you get both. But it it just feels a little bit broken to me in a way that I'm not sure how they're going to come back from. Exacerbated by this fact that we touched on briefly last week, but we should come back to again. I mean, Fox is nobody really knows. I mean, the Times yeah. reported yesterday that that. Um, your boy, your, our, our Philly boy, Brian Roberts from Comcast. Coming through. Trying to, trying to come the top. in and just, just come off the top rope and steal that deal. Yeah. But unless he's, he's able to- splash the pot. Unless he's <laughs> able to do that, Fox uh, is selling itself to Disney, basically. Yes. And the Fox Broadcast Network will no longer have a studio partner, meaning they won't be able to own the content that they put on. sort of essentially what was at the heart of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine issue, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's a universal show. It was like a, it made money, but not for Fox. Yes, and it was an expensive show going into later, you know, fifth or sixth season. Right. Um, And so this, you know, the the thing about Fox is that it took some of those chances. Last Man on Earth is a ballsy show. 24, Empire. It took big, big swings. Yeah, absolutely. That's always historically been its brand as a broadcast network. Now it's going to be Fox News talk shows and they just snatch wrestling mm-hmm. from USA and God they wish they had they they wish they had outbid ABC for American Idol because they, they, that's and, what it's going to be. And Fox as like a as like a broadcasting company massively outbid ESPN for the World Cup that's about to start next month because that's that's where its future is sure. without a studio and that's going to destabilize things even more. So look, I just what I I guess what I don't understand is when I see I I remember very fondly and I also remember it constantly being on life support in terms of whether mm-hmm. it's going to come back or not. I remember very fondly the night, uh, the Super Bowl night that Homicide premiered. Oh yeah, and feeling like this is the this is the vanguard. Like these are this it's is thrilling. like you guys get the most eyeballs ever to make your first impression. And holy crap, did you make your first impression? Yeah. It was like, and that was also a moment where, you know, I don't know, I can't really like chop up exactly what led to homicide coming out, but you had all of America watching something and probably 65% of the people out there who were watching it were like, what the hell is this? And then there were 35% of it, like me, who fell in love with an art form because of it, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, still adore that show and adore Andre Brower and adore people who were on it. And I think that that is a missed opportunity for network it, television. I wonder what happens. Like you guys put on so many and God bless her, so many bad Katherine Heigl shows that are essentially variations on the same theme. Mm-hmm. So many like, oh, we're still trying to figure out, crack the lost nut six years afterwards. Mm-hmm. What would have happened if you just put Killing Eve on NBC or ABC? I don't know. I mean, people on who watch ABC are familiar with Sandra Oh. They, they, that's uh, yeah. not going to be like a groundbreaking idea for them. And what's the downside of owning people's minds for three months if you're ABC. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I, I think there must be some calculation that we don't have access to, which is basically they look at the numbers and they look at who's watching and they think they've just lost a generation, whether they yeah. were on top of it or yeah. not. But there's a generation that doesn't even think of TV being a linear medium and they're not coming back, I think is the attitude. You know, there there are many, there are a couple bright spots in this lineup. You know, we talk, we we love Mike Schur personally. We like him creatively. He has, he's executive producing a new show called Abby's starring our friend, Natalie Morales. Mm-hmm. So happy she's getting a shot to lead a Which show. Which is essentially trying to do 
it's a, the Cheers model. Yeah, it's which like a bar with a group of characters. Is another yeah. way to do it. Yeah. That's not a high cost show. It's a multicam sitcom and like people still want that. I that's think on NBC? That's on NBC. But I but I also think that um, underlying all of this is the fact that Netflix is coming to steal that corner too. You know, Netflix is putting a lot of money into multicam comedies. Normcore television. Into yeah. procedurals, into Shonda Rhimes, into volume, which used to be the broadcast business with Ryan Murphy. Um, there's an element to this conversation where we are bemoaning things that happened and ended a long time ago. People are still going to be watching shows like this, but they're going to be watching it on Netflix, which is essentially as dominant or soon to be as dominant as broadcast TV once was. I think, I think the challenge, the challenge is always going to be the fact that it, it didn't make sense anymore. You know, you, you want to challenge people with, with forward looking art, um, and you want to get it in front of as many people as possible, but there are now two dozen providers that will allow you to make this challenging art and not give you notes on it. Yeah. And then you can just make it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you just wonder, I, I, I think, you know, with the show, and I, I mentioned this because Rel is going to be on Fox uh, and Rel is- That's an interesting one um, for me. I think Carmichael's show on NBC is I wonder what happened, you know, Carmichael's show on, on Netflix or FX is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. On NBC, it is this sort of, it's a Molotov cocktail. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? In a way, it's not only in terms of what it's talking about, but the way in which they do these or did seven, yeah, did these eight, nine minute uninterrupted scenes that did not have three jokes a page. Mm-hmm. Or if they did, they were not, they were also about very, very dark mm-hmm. subject matter. So I'll be kind of curious to see the next time we get something that's like, legitimately groundbreaking like that. Because let's just end this part of the conversation by saying it's still a bummer that one day at a time, which is brilliant and moving and spectacular to watch, I think, um, and many critics agree, it's a bummer to me that it's on Netflix. Yeah. I wish it wasn't. Um, But then, you know, you look at the numbers and see how it works. Maybe it couldn't have, maybe it couldn't have survived. Maybe it would have been noted to death. Maybe it would have underperformed once and then CBS or ABC would have just moved on. I was just, I wonder what would have happened. I mean, these these are very like at this point in Black Mirror's run. I I don't know that you it, it's it's become so dark and it's also now it's very much like f- different filmmakers are doing different variations yeah. on it. But I do wonder what would happen if Black Mirror was on after sixty minutes every Sunday. Yeah, I, 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 it just doesn't. I don't know if people could take it. And it, obviously, there are certain episodes you just couldn't put on network television. I, I think the thing that the, but the, you could put be right back on. But CBS is the only one that still seems like a functioning. But they're not. Business. But, but they, no, but they no might more. not be. Right. Yeah. Because like less movies could be out of a job this year. This is this is it's so it's end times. Yeah. It, it, it's, if less movies is out of a job, like then know. none of us are safe. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Uh, before we go to a break, I just want to ask, what's one show from this crop of pilots that you think you're going to check out? Abby's. I mean, it 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 it's become it's me applying a cable mindset to the broadcast business, which is chasing auteurs, basically. If Mike sure made it it's worth watching in my mind. And he he's achieved that level of trust with viewers in terms of quality. Um, imprimatur matters, right? And and so that that alone will make me check it out. Um, you have... I mean, I'm going to watch The Passage. Yeah. And then um, just out of sheer admiration for Dick Wolf, who recently received an honorary doctorate in giving no fucks... My guy just named the show FBI. Yeah. They were like, Dick, what do you, you know, you're just killing it, man. You're killing it. What do you, what do you see here? Yeah. I'm, see, I'm seeing two FBI agents. And like, oh, God, I love it. I love it, Dick. What do you, 
what do you think it's going to be called? Like, like a man of honor, you know, the, the badge, you know, the haircut. He's like FBI. He's figured it out, man. This is the dude who runs the widget company in, in Ohio. And he's like, what do you do? He's like, I fucking make widgets because people need widgets. Like, and, and, and actually there's, pride in that. I know. And I kind of admire it. He yeah. is still an old school guy in an old school business. And NBC was like, I don't know about this law and order thing. He's like, what's not to get? It's two words. Yeah. Law and then there's order and then you're done. And then they try, you know, they canceled the flagship law and order show and he was furious because yeah. they denied him the gun smoke record and blah, blah, blah. And then he just slowly widget by widget built a second billion dollar empire by taking public services and linking them and in saying, the city of Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, right. Right. And, you know, they, those shows have fans. And let me just tell you because something. Of all these shows, the one thing that I was kind of, I'm kind of disappointed in, because if here's the thing, it's like the old studio thing. It's like, if you're going to make a studio picture, like a studio movie, yeah. like make it look like a really, like you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. And that's why it bums me about the passage. Is it just really does look like they shot this on like the old bone set. FBI looks good. Like yeah. visually, it looks pretty stunning. Like I'm sure it's going to be like CSI, FBI, but- I will check FBI out just to see what it was, and I'm going to watch the passage because I can't. I can't have this be something that I've been waiting for for eight years or whatever. Yeah, and then not watch. Check it out. It just it. What's a bummer about it is that they often just mistake the things that people want, and mm-hmm. there is a version of the passage that I think could have appealed to a large cross section of the audience. But in this trailer from this pilot that is years in the making, it's essentially um, Mark Paul Gosselaar defends a magical kid. Mm-hmm. And that is the least, it actually is the least interesting possible outcome for that book. It's and, not even actually, and, and uh, you can do what you want with uh, when you're adapting stuff, but it's not even really what happens in that part of the book. No. The, what happens in that part of the book is he does defend that magical kid, but they just spend a lot of time making lunch. <laughs> they do have a lot of lunch. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We've got to make sp- lunch. we got to make some lunch to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back to talk about last night's Killing Eve and Andy's Airplane movies. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Black Tux. It's wedding season! Why did I say that like the way DJ Khaled says, Lion? I don't know, but I liked it. When you're bringing a date to a wedding, you want to look fresh. That's where the black... And I would say also, if you're going stag, you still want to look fresh. The Black Tux can help you either way. That's where the theblacktux.com comes in. It lets you rent awesome suits and tuxedos in all styles online. With the Black Tux, you can take your style to the next level with funky, cool options like the Emerald Shawl Tuxedo. And then you blow it out for your one big-time, one-time event. And now, with free home try-on... You can feel the quality and see the fit months before your event. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a new replacement right away. You wear it, you turn heads, then you send it back three days later. It's that easy. Shipping is free both ways. Andy and I have used the Black Tux multiple times. We love to be dressed by the Black Tux for our award show work. You love doing award show work. I love doing deep award show work. So we... we the Black Tux has dressed us for the Emmys and our Golden Globes post shows, and we've always loved our experience. To get $20 off your first purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Audible. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime outdoors, and more. 
And with the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, Audible lets you fill your summer with more stories like Every Man a Menace, which is the next double down book club selection. You could cop Patrick Hoffman's Every Man a Menace. You can read or listen to rather any of the double down selections. James Crumley's Last Good Kiss. What are some other hits that we had in the past that the people can listen to on Audible? Oh, Megan Abbott's Queen Pin. Damn. Did we say Sweet Forever? Sweet Forever by George Pelicanos. As an Audible member, you'll get a credit every month good for any audiobook, regardless of price. Unused credits roll over to the next month. And if you don't like your audiobook, you can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. Go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Better yet, you can switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free just go to audible.com slash watch or text watch to 500-500. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com slash watch or text watch to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. We back. Mm-hmm. Eve back. Mm-hmm. Appointment television, just my favorite thing on TV right now. Penultimate episode. Penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. Felt like a penultimate episode in the traditional sense, not in the George Pelicanos kills everybody sense. <laughs> um, that, that's my favorite kind of penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely setting up a season finale. The first... first um, not a series finale, I think it's clear now. Season finale, yeah. Yeah. The first uh, kind of yada yada did a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about that? Because I, I think you had some notes. Well, I love this show. I'm thrilled about this show. I'm excited there's another week. And, you know, if I don't think too much about it, what it means, I'm excited for another season. Um, but I think, and I didn't do this, but I'm, I, I think that if you were to watch the first two episodes again and then last night's episode, you would sort of, you could tell the difference. It does seem to be settling in a little bit more than it was it seems to be settling into a slightly different kind of show because the first few episodes with their breakneck pace and the intensity and just the the sort of manic energy that both actresses were bringing um, suggested something that would just burn fast and bright and quickly and not, as we've said before, not have a second season. I feel like the decision to go to the Russian prison and to go to Russia, the show feels bogged down in it in a way that I didn't expect. It seems like the sort of thing that works well in a room and it's an interesting look and it's an interesting idea and it gives her more to do and it keeps her in one place. But I don't know. It's one of those things where you bought the ticket on the ride no matter what, Mm -hmm. but you're not sure about this portion of the ride. You know, you you, kind of want to get back to the loop-to-loops. And it does make me worry about the settling in as it becomes, um, you know, potentially Eve and Villanelle united in some way against the 12. I mean, I, all these places it could be going rather than just being a cat and mouse game between this particular cat and this fascinating mouse. Um, that said, I love Constantine. This guy, Kim Bodia, I think his name is, who, mm-hmm. by the way, was the star of the original, I think it's Danish show, The Bridge, the thing that got adapted yeah. multiple times. He's so good. He's just such a charismatic and incredible presence. And the way that character has gone, it, it, it's just beautifully done, frankly. It's the thing that this show does that keeps me hooked. These sort of beautiful grace notes that it gives to these 
characters that trick they trick you into thinking these are supporting characters and they're and they're kind of not no the, yeah. the, the scene between him and villanelle and the scene where she has the other handler briefly <laughs> Anton um, is an anti incredible incredible off the bench performance just, just a great energy guy <laughs> off the bench yeah yeah and now back to the grave but that's the stuff that i like best in the show um I, I, I am I am equivocating. I'm I, waffling. No, a no, bit. it's 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 it has nothing to do with um, whether it's a good show or not, or it's a, a great show, show, and whether yeah. we love the show. It this is what we have been kind of concerned trolling it about for a while, mm-hmm. which is the the possibility that it could just get orphan blacked, that mm-hmm. it could have like another two seasons of Sandra O oh hunting down the twelve. I thought Anton and um, and. Uh, Constantine saying like, well, there there are uh, guides or what were they called? Uh, it was seekers, another word. Like, well, who had access? To yeah, the- it, was, it was something where it was like there was another level before you get. Mm-hmm. It's it, that's video gaming it. Mm-hmm. That's like there's another boss next season, and then there will be a final boss in the third season or something. Mm-hmm. And Villanelle will be in and out of this the entire time. The attraction to me for this show is the mutual obsession and repulsion between the Sandra O oh character and the Jodie Comer mm-hmm. character. I, I I like the world building. I've enjoyed my time in Moscow. I like Kenny. I love Carolyn. I love Vlad. I love all these characters are cool. I like how they're doing it. But there will be a lot of kicking the can if they're trying to imagine this is a third season. And I will sound this other note of concern, Great. which is not, again, this is the weird where, place we're at with OTOR-driven television, mm-hmm. is that, there's only so many Phoebe Waller bridges. Yes. And she did not write these last two episodes, which I both of which I enjoyed thoroughly. Mm-hmm. But they did not have, I would say, the, her signature level mm-hmm. of, oh my God, they're going there with this. Yeah. Oh my God, this is hilarious. Oh my God, this is horrifying. That's her. And it was good. And I bet she did some rewrite on it. And I bet she maybe even wrote the Anton scene or something like that. But her voice is not replicable. Yeah. Just and, the same way David Mamet's isn't, just the same way Aaron Sorkin's isn't, just the same way Amy Sherman Palladino's isn't. Or, or, it's or, like, or David Lynch, and you think about like yeah. the second season of Twin Peaks 20 yeah. years ago, and it was just, there were things that were weird, yes. but they weren't dream logic. Yes. And similarly, I love Killing Eve, it, and it's incredible that six episodes in or seven episodes in, it already knows what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a sign of a great show. And it's the show where um, the woman whose husband was castrated by Villanelle and murdered offers Eve cake and then gives her the second piece of cake. Yes. You know, it's just these small little grace And then notes. Eve screws it up by being like, did you have sex with her? Yeah, a little specificity. <laughs> yeah. But the, this is the show where that woman offers her cake. That is the baseline. When Phoebe Waller-Bridge is writing it, this is the show where there's a line about the rat, you know, in the alley in front of the building and never mind the smell and all of the great stuff with, mm-hmm. um, what was his name? Dave, uh, her, her, colleague uh, played by David Haig. Oh, Frank, yeah. Um, no, not Frank's the bad guy. The Frank, oh. Um, sad mustache man from David Haig, yeah. But I forget the character's name. Oh, uh, Bill. Yeah, Bill. sorry. Yeah. All the Bill stuff. That's when the show is electric. And so a B version of Killing Eve is great, is fine. But when it's at its A plus game, it's exceptional. And I think that, yeah, we are, uh, we are greedy. Creators are overtaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, one other note. Just, I kind of was fascinated to see that Sandra O oh clearly had a cold. It was amazing. In this episode. And you, I often think about this. As someone who definitely thinks he needs to go to the urgent care, like if I stay up an hour too late at night, <laughs> I always am fascinated by yeah. actors who are doing this, how they just are always able to be, shot, yeah. to be on. But she was shot. She was in Moscow. God knows how long the hours were. And she still 
But that works for the character. It works for the character and she's still doing it and she's still great. But at the point where they're just like, well, we got to roll. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that level of seeing behind the curtain a little bit is always interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think the show has to do for you? I mean, we're in, we keep saying this, but obviously we're in. What would you like out of a season finale now that you know that the show is going to be ongoing? What level of resolution slash rebooting would you like to see going into a second season? I, that's, that's the tough answer because like, I'm greedy. I don't want to give up these uh, characters yet, so I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to want an end to Villanelle mm-hmm. just to to put a bow on the French mm-hmm. fashion that we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to guess, it seems like they're positioning Carolyn as sort of becoming maybe the villain of the yes. show. I don't know. I mean, it also could be that Carolyn and Constantine are working to like sort of keep a stability to the Western and right. and the, the, the world. And that, that, that even Villanelle is are, actually not an evil organization, but like the organization who protects people. And from, then even Villanelle are both pawns. Yes. And thus, yes. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I do think though, you mentioned a little bit like even Villanelle working together or, or some sort of that. I don't think that we can come back from that. Like no. the, the same way that you were just sort of like, in Barry, where you were like, Barry can't be a cool guy again. You guys mm-hmm. know that, right? Like, Villanelle can't be the hero. We no. can like Villanelle and cheer for her sort of in our darker places. And she is just blockbuster entertainment, and I hope she sticks around. But, like, it can't be Eve and Villanelle versus the world. No, and and, and I think that, that if there is a flaw to these last two weeks, putting Villanelle in the prison with all of these red shirts, basically. Yes. All of her victims are not people in the eyes of the show or certainly in the eyes of the audience, it's taken us away from that truly fascinating third rail that the show flirted with, which was Eve's psychosexual fandom Mm -hmm. of this woman, which extended up until the point when the knife blade turned on her, her friends, and her family, and she came into her home. And that, that, that fascinating attraction repulsion that anyone can have with things that they shouldn't. The show, because of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, because of the crew and the cast and everyone, they were willing to go there. These two episodes, in my mind, represented a slight step back from that because it was— Yeah, because it's it's just a little bit of a downshift as you get ready was, for whatever the future and, of and the show And it was kind of an action Yeah, movie sure, thing. yeah. Um, I, 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 am, I agree with you. I think that the natural thing that the first few episodes would have had us believe is that Constantine is not long for this world, and I was ready to believe it last night as well because of the first few episodes of the show— if we are settling in for a longer run, boy, I would hate to lose him. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can look to him as the weather vane of where the show the might be going. going that's a good. Season. That's a good way to leave it. All right, we. Do, you oh, want on my airplane? Oh, let's hear about the airplane movie. Yeah, it's been like it's, a while. So it's been a while. I almost just shared with the world via social media that while I was so sorry to miss last week's conversation with you and, and yeah, and if you got any Aragorn thoughts, just by all means, the best show for me to miss ever. Um, <laughs> I was on an airplane, yeah, sipping yeah, kind of over oaked California shard, but you know, sorry, that's what Delta was. Carrying I always this just month. imagine like why not a nice earthy red to to bed you into the seat. Oh, I, I don't want. I don't. I don't. I don't tannins. like a heavy. Yeah, I don't want the heavy tannins. You know, I want something. You want to be able to be, drink more than one plastic cup of this. Yeah, you know. I mean, listen. That's, that's why a, I drink whiskey on planes. It's a long flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to let you people know that I didn't give you the full experience because. And again, you know, Delta's been a been pretty good to me, so I didn't complain. Uh-huh. But the screen was broken in my seat, so I couldn't advance past the first 
page of options. Okay. So I want you guys to know I was limited in every category to the films that began well, with Well, this is A, good. This is B, like you were going C. back in time to network television. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, I did find one thing that I was interested in seeing, which was the Tom Cruise film American Made. Yeah. And I wish that I loved this movie more so we could reclaim this as like, I wish we could born legacy this film. Yeah, this is, I, I didn't love this movie, so it's okay. I think Doug Lyman doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. But he doesn't always make great ones. And this is the movie, for people who are big fans of the Narcos Extended Universe. <laughs> like me. Th- like yeah. Chris Ryan, my co-host. This is the Barry Seals story, kinda. Yeah. in Doug Lyman fashion, they just kind of vamped. Yeah. And it has very little to do with reality. Um, but you get your boys from the cartel. They show up. They're well played again by, like, how many actors have played? Um, I know, it's like Hamlet at this point. It is. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. Tom Cruise has a good time. It's an entertaining film. It belongs in, it just put this on the highlight reel of Donald Gleason, whose name I now feel marginally comfortable saying. I so, This dude is just low proing and elite career. Okay, so I wanted to mention this to you. Yeah. You might want to check out there among on the streets because uh-huh. I think you might be on Gleason Island. People aren't feeling Donald Gleason. I they move their allegiance to I, Jack. No, but I think that like the General Huck stuff has not helped him a ton. Huck's is a choice. Yeah, it's a choice, especially in Last Jedi. He makes some choices, and I think that since then it's like I need I need Gleason to get his. He needs like a big look. He's coming in. He's wearing trousers. He's doing like forced American accents. I get it, mm-hmm. but I want Don, I want to see what he's really got. I think that. Okay, so I really could, liked him in Brooklyn, by the way. Yes, years ago. Yeah, people, have you checked him out on Netflix in a futile and stupid gesture? The okay, David Wayne National Lampoon movie, mm-hmm. where he just chooses to play this role like it is a deeply felt dramatic character performance. <laughs> it's so much so, and this is while everyone else is just vamping and like Seth Green is showing up as Christopher Guest and John Daly is just doing a Bill Murray imitation. And meanwhile, Donald Gleason is smoking a pipe and like try, lending real dramatic weight to his scenes with Will Forte, who is on Quaaludes when wearing a ponytail. <laughs> it is a great performance. Yeah. And in American Made too. Yeah, he's wearing trousers. That's an accurate description yeah. of his role in this movie. But he's, he's, he's shipping guns into to, to, to Arkansas. And Jesse Plemons clearly just got a call and they were like, you still fat? And he's like, a little bit. And they're like, show up for two days. Like, it's wild that he's in this bit. movie. Yeah. He contributes very little, but he's very good in it. Um, I, God, I'm shocked to hear this. I'm just saying that you might want to do a little bit of research before you buy, buy, buy. Yeah. Wow. Just, just Jim Cramering this. Just let this, you know. This from the guy who still has his Harvey Dent for President t-shirt. This from the guy who I believe solely from the trailer to flight. Is that correct? What, what, what was, why were you buying he's so much? Sully. Whatever. It was Sully and he's also all, in the original Burnt called No Reservations. Guys, and though I do airplane movies, I won't watch <laughs> movies about airplanes. So I forget why you bought all that Aaron Eckhart stock. It was because he had turned fully into being a character actor while also guapping up on the White House down or the Olympus has fallen. Why don't you Larry yeah. Kudlow this for me and tell me about how those stocks have turned out for you? Because first of all- They're like life insurance. You have to wait 25 years oh, for them to right. mature. Yeah, They don't even trade Donald Gleason's stock in this country, okay? This is in the Bourse or whatever. Yeah, right. These are European stocks okay. that I'm investing in. okay. And they are going Put to it next bear to your fruit. Vincent Cassell bonds. They are <laughs> going to bear fruit in time. Okay, 
<laughs> yeah, you might want to check about how Brexit's going to respond to the Donald Gleason, you know, dividends. Wow. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, Jack Gleason's stock is still out there. Okay. All right. After Phantom Thread, it's on the come up. We'll be back on Thursday, probably to talk Westworld and let you know how Andy's uh, <laughs> we'll do financial Donald Gleason stock is doing until then. Great job, Rance. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Joe Para Talks With You. There's a new show coming to Adult Swim called Joe Para Talks With You. It's a quiet show about Joe and his friends and the things in his life, like breakfast food, rocks, weddings, being woken up by thunder, grilled chicken, pumpkins, fall drives, and more. Now here's a personal request from Joe. Please watch it. Joe Para Talks With You, Sundays at midnight on Adult Swim.